If God is for us, who is against us? That changes everything. God Almighty, omnipotent, does whatever He wants. He's in the heavens. He does what He pleases. You know, we've been looking at Him because He is the key to these great truths that Paul is celebrating now. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is for us. The all-wise one. Never kind of wondering if I only had a little more information, I'd know how to make a decision here. He knows everything. And he always uses his knowledge and his power in perfect wisdom. That's who is for us. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins a six-part message titled, God is for us. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. The 8th of Romans. If it's not your favorite chapter, why it ought to be. (laughs) At least while we're in it. It's a tremendous, tremendous chapter, as you know, if you've been reading it and uh, spending time with us in it. And it closes uh, verses 31 through 39 with... uh, Paul raises really seven questions and answers them, but it doesn't have any kind of a questioning tone to it, even though he raises questions that we all deal with. Uh, The great emphasis is the answers. And uh, it's just a tremendous section. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up, For us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What then shall we say to these things? He says. What things are you talking about? Well, in one sense, you could say the whole book of Romans, everything he said up to now, because his mind hasn't stopped, and I wonder sometimes if he even put his pen down. You know, he just is. You can see the argument of Paul's mind, and it's an an inspired mind, it's the Holy Spirit's argument for Christianity, but in one sense we could start back in chapter 1 and say, what should we say to this? In another sense, I think we could start back at verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He gave His Son to die for you. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He gave us His Spirit to live in us. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We can say, Abba, Father. And yes, there's suffering now, but it's not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And we groan, eagerly awaiting that glory, and it's absolutely certain. Our hope is certain. And the Holy Spirit Himself, meanwhile, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He prays for us. And then what can I say when I get to verse 28? And in one sense, I think that's maybe what's on Paul's mind when he says, what should we say to these things? We know 
that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. I mean, you remember we saw last week in verse 29 and 30, you start in eternity past, and God foreknew His own. He foreordained that we would be His. And He predestined us to adoption as sons. And He called us. And He justified us. And He glorified us. I mean, we went from eternity past to eternity future in just those five words. And we saw them kind of like golden links. The security that we have, God is for us. What should we say to these things? Hallelujah, I think we ought to say. What a Savior! And we do. We sing it. I mean, that's why Christians, we love to get together and just sing about Him. And that's the definition of Christian music as far as I'm concerned. Singing about Him. Singing praise to God. Lifting our voices in joy and adoration to our Savior. What should we say? We ought to worship Him. We ought to adore Him. You know, God wants to be known, and He has made Himself known all the way through the Bible, and all eternity will show Him forth as Savior. But somebody says, well, isn't there any opposition to the Christian? Oh, yeah. Yeah, read it again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Stop and read that just for a moment. I mean, just momentarily. Just stop and just leave the key phrase out. God is for us. Just leave it out for a minute because sometimes these things show up best against the black uh, backdrop. What if you just said, who's against us? Plenty. Who's against us? Well, Satan, for starters. He hates God and he hates God's children. He's a slithering serpent. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. He'd like to seduce us. And we're no match for him. I mean, think about it. Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, Michael the archangel, Jude tells us, he didn't dare bring a railing rebuke or judgment against him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Without God, if you leave that uh, little statement there in verse 31, if you leave that phrase out, Satan's against us, and it would be fearful indeed to think about that. And that's not to mention the world. The world system is against us. I mean, we've got to be honest. Listen to what Jesus said, some of his last words to his men. When he took them aside before he left, he said, uh, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I mean, last week we rejoiced, didn't we? As we looked at verses 29, 30, that God foreknew us. He called us. 
He glorified us. I mean, it's so certain that he's got it all done. But Jesus said, listen, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't expect better treatment as a slave of the master than the master got. And when Jesus prayed in John 17, he said to the Father, I have given them, speaking of believers, I have given them thy word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The world is a system devoted to neutralizing Christians, to maiming us if possible, to seducing us with its money or its things or its pleasures, or killing us if possible. Now, I speak figuratively when I speak this way, but I could also speak literally. And throughout history, the world has done just those things to Christians and is still in places in this world doing it. Government officials in our nation are against us as a church. Some. Government systems throughout history and around the world even today are devoted to opposition to God and his people. Uh, you think about it. The world is a very real foe. False religions, cults. I mean, Satan marshals everything he can. If you just read it, who's against us? It would be frightening indeed. But that's enough of that. Because that's not what it says. If God is for us, who's against us? That changes everything, doesn't it? If God is for us, who is against us. Sometimes I'm afraid that we Christians, we do too much thinking about who's against us. You know, we can, we can preach on it, we can talk about it, we can think about it, and we can get ourselves all bound up with fear and kind of a minority complex. But the Scripture says, listen, if God is for us, who's against us? That changes everything. God Almighty, omnipotent, does whatever He wants He's in the heavens. He does what He pleases. You know, we've been looking at Him because He is the key to these great truths that Paul is celebrating now. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is for us. The all-wise one. Never kind of wondering if I only had a little more information, I'd know how to make a decision here. He knows everything. And he always uses his knowledge and his power in perfect wisdom. That's who is for us. Rejoice. What should we say? Praise God. Praise God. We ought to enjoy it. I mean, the omnipotent creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, is for us. What does it matter? Who ridicules your faith? What does it matter? what they say down at work when they can't understand your priorities. What does that matter if God is for us? What does it matter if they don't let you, young person, into their little social clique if God is for you? What does it matter if even your own family reject you? Listen to uh, David 
In God, whose word I praise, in God I've put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long, they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. Thou hast taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I've put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Thy vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to thee. Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Every Christian can say that and should. I was reading the 56th Psalm, by the way. Enjoy it. God is for you. That's what David knew. And I tell you, I don't care what they say to you, what kind of opposition you face today. And I know there's opposition. There are things against us. I mean, if you leave God out of the package, we could spend all hour just talking about who's against us. But God's in the package. If God is for us, who's against us? Enjoy that. Enjoy that. What if your own family's against you? Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come, Eternal life. Do you think somehow when God is for you that you'll uh, get caught where the deal doesn't turn out right for you? Oh, no. God is for you. I don't know your situation today, but I can tell you this, Christian. God is for you. And you may think, I'm getting the short end of the stick, but I can guarantee you, you're not. If you just look at your little circumstances, and that's what we tend to do, we tend to just get our eyes, and that's why we need to get to know Him. Key to this whole issue is seeing who is for us. It is God who is for us. If God is for us, what if they even threaten your life? You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, David said. Or, you know, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why the Psalms are so loved because, and one of the reasons they got written was that David didn't have an easy go of it. He was a man after God's own heart, but he went through all the troubles and trials and persecutions of life. And he was a prefiguring of the, the son of David who has gone even to the cross for us, who knows all about it. But David, in the human emotion, he knew what it's like to be under danger. He knew what it's like to be ridiculed, scoffed. He knew what it's like to not know what's around the next bend and everything looked depressing. And out of that heart poured psalms that we still thrill in today because they're true. He knew God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Think about it. Who should you fear? If the Lord is the defense of your life. If the Lord is your light and salvation, there's no one to fear. God is for us. That banishes all fear. I love that song we've been singing lately. It blows away all our fears to know Him, to know God. Chases all anxiety. Cast cast your burdens on Him. He cares for you. Cast your anxieties on Him. He cares for you. All false sense of security, which really breeds insecurity if it's security in yourself. That's why we have so much insecurity. If you turn away from that and just look at who's for you, God is for us. Who can be against us? You know, Joshua and Caleb knew it. You think back through the Scripture, Joshua and Caleb knew it. You remember when they sent the spies into uh, the Promised Land to check it out? And they sent 12 men in. And uh, 10 of them came back with these huge reports about who's against us. You know, I'll tell you who's against us. It's a great land, there's no question about that. But I'll tell you what, these people, we can't begin to go in. And then you come to the minority report. And you know, uh, that's a good good way to label it. you got the majority report and the minority report. And I'll tell you what, if your eyes are on God, Christian, you'll always find yourself in the minority. It's just the way it is in this world. And sadly, often it's that way in the church, among God's people. But uh, the minority report came in quite differently. Joshua and Caleb, here's what they said. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They didn't dispute that there was trouble they're going to face, that there was a big enemy. They just said, the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Joshua and Caleb knew that God is for us. Who can be against us? Jonathan. Jonathan, another great illustration of that, you know. Uh, remember, he came up against a whole garrison of Philistines by himself. And uh, he was looking the situation over, and here's what he said. He had a young man with him that carried his armor. That's all he had. And he said to the young man, as the young man, I take it, was getting the idea, Jonathan's going to take these guys on by himself with just me holding his armor. And Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. He said, listen, let's just go for it. The Lord is not restrained. It's the Lord who's got the battle here. And He's not restrained to save by many or few. Let's go. And you remember what happened. He slaughtered 20 of them just in the initial skirmish. And uh, I read that 20 men fell in an acre of land. I mean, I, th I think about that sometimes. What it must have been. And there was a trembling in the camp in the field, and among all the people, even the garrison. And the raiders trembled, and the earthquake, so that it became a great trembling. 
God is for us. Who's against us? And David knew the same thing, didn't he? You remember the account when uh, Israel was challenged? The Philistines gathered their armies for battle on one side, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped on the other. And a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits, nine feet, and a span. Nine six, I guess. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves, shin guards, on his legs. A bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And, you know, if you just stop and kind of analyze that, we could exegete that, you know, think, oh, how big, how many pounds is that? How big is this guy? How? And that's sometimes what we do, you know. How bad is the world around us today? How many opposition forces are there? I'll tell you, it's real out there. And all we do is just look at the armor of the enemy. And he stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come up to draw in battle array? Draw up in battle array. Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? That's the way he looked at it. I'm the Philistine, and you guys are servants of Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Why waste all the bloodshed on the battlefield? Let's just have one little duel here. I got somebody to come out, and we'll make a deal. If you can kill me, we'll be your servants. If I can kill your best guy, you'll be our servants. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And you remember David came to the battlefield and uh, when he came in, he was talking with them. And behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words. And David heard them. David heard this. And he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? You see, to David, it wasn't... What's it? What is, he's taunting the armies of Saul. Oh, no, it wasn't Saul's army. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would taunt the armies of the living God? That's what David saw. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God is for us, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. If God is for us, who's against us? He purchased us at infinite cost. You're His most precious possession. He put you in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're part of His body. To touch us is to touch Christ. Saul, Saul, Jesus Christ said. You remember when he came to Saul on the road to Damascus? Why are you persecuting my people? Is that what he said? Why are you persecuting me? We are in Christ. When you persecute Christ's people, you're persecuting Christ. Oh, what a tremendous position to be in. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no one we should fear. There is therefore now nothing we should worry about. We're in Christ. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Master Scott brings part two of the message titled, God is for us. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.